This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for today is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it contains what I think is one of the most important lines in the whole biblical tradition. Isaiah, now speaking for God, says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. The otherness of God is a basic biblical theme. That God is in the world, yes, in and through all things, yes. Nevertheless, God remains other. Karl Barth, one of the most important Protestant theologians of the past century, said, there is an infinite qualitative difference between us and God. He means, of course, not just a quantitative difference, as though we're small things and God is the ultimate, the, the largest being. No, there's a qualitative difference between us and God. Thomas Aquinas, seven centuries ago, said, we never really know what God is, only what God is not. It's wonderful, isn't it? All the theological language that Thomas Aquinas used was a kind of negative language, telling us what God is not. But what God is, that remains shrouded in mystery, strange, beyond our ken. St. Augustine, the greatest theologian in the Western tradition, said, See comprehendus non est Deus. If you understand, that isn't God. I always tell my students here at the seminary, that's a great motto to put on top of the page whenever you're reading a book of theology. If you understand, that isn't it. God is always beyond our understanding. Just when you feel you've got it all figured out, you understand the ways of God, be careful. That's an idol that you're dealing with. St. Paul, of course, exclaims in Romans, Lord, how unscrutable your ways, how unsearchable your judgments. The ways of God, they're inscrutable. I don't know them. can't see them clearly. God's judgments, what God is doing, why he's doing it, that remains unsearchable to us. Christians, the great tradition, both Protestant and Catholic, seems to plant little explosives within its own texts. What I mean is, so that just as we think we're understanding the things and ways of God, even as we read the Bible, the great theologians and spiritual masters, we're reminded again and again how little we actually know. You know, at the Mass we use incense. Incense has a lot of different overtones and undertones, symbolic meaning. One meaning is, of course, that as the incense rises up to heaven, so our prayers rise up to God. 
But there is, I think, another sense. Incense obscures things. It covers things up, shrouds them in mystery. It also stings your eyes. If you get too much incense in your eyes, they, they sting and you begin to tear up and you can't see. That's appropriate. Incense is meant to shroud and to cover, to block our vision to some degree. Don't think you see the things of God too clearly. You know, the Bible speaks often, especially the Old Testament, about idolatry as the paradigmatic sin. It's the sin of sins. Idolatry is making something less than God into God. The Bible knows that idolatry has all kinds of negative consequences, both intellectual and moral. Think for a second of all the people over the centuries who committed some of the worst crimes precisely in the name of God. Those who were doing the most horrible things just as they were convinced that they knew exactly what God wanted. Of course, St. Paul himself comes to mind here. Paul, galloping off to Damascus, fully convinced he's doing the will of God, knows exactly what God wants, is in fact persecuting Christ and his church. In this sense, Christians, it is really good for us from time to time to be thrown off guard, to be knocked down, to be shown how odd and strange God is. One thing you'll see in the Bible over and over again is an insistence on the countless examples of injustice, inequality, unfairness in God's world. And we know it. Sometimes morally good and upright people suffer terribly while the wicked prosper. Sometimes little children are hit with terrible and debilitating diseases. Sometimes the father of a young family is tragically killed while old people who long to die linger on and on. Some people are given innumerable gifts of looks and talent, intelligence, good luck, and others are the most ordinary of the ordinary. Well, what do we say when we survey all this? We say God's ways are unfair. It's not right. You know, wicked people ought to be punished. Good people ought to prosper. People that long to die, well, they ought to be given the gift of death. Those who should live, they ought to live. Do you ever find yourself saying, if I were God, I would certainly do things a little different. If I were in charge of the cosmos, there wouldn't be all this inequality and injustice. The greatest Old Testament wrestling with this problem is the great book of Job. Job is, by all accounts, the greatest saint in the Old Testament. A man of virtue, upright in every way. And yet, as we know, Job suffers physically, psychologically, from the loss of his family. In every possible way, he suffers. And Job gives voice to the very question I was just raising. Job says to God, why am I suffering? 
Don't tell me it's in response to my sin, because I know I'm not a sinner. Why am I suffering? Job calls God into the dock like a witness at a trial. Well, friends, our gospel for today focuses on this problem, this perennial and this difficult and this vexing problem. It does so in terms of a parable. One of the most puzzling and, frankly, annoying parables in the tradition. I say annoying because it's so hard to understand. Jesus says, there's an owner of a vineyard who comes out early in the morning and he hires some people to work for him. And he says, I'll pay you the just wage. Then a few hours later, he comes out again, finds some more people who are unemployed, and says, I'll hire you for the just wage. Then at noon, then at three, and then even at the very end of the day, with only a, an hour of sunlight left, he hires some last people. Then they all assemble to receive their wages. And he says, now pay those who were hired last first. So he pays them the daily wage. Naturally, those who are hired earliest expect more. But they, too, are paid the same wage. And then, of course, the griping begins. And I shouldn't really say griping because it seems pretty reasonable. They begin to complain. Well, heck, I, I was hired at nine. I worked all day in the hot sun. And yet you're paying me the same as the person you hired at the end of the day who didn't even work under the hot sun and only for an hour? Well, if anyone seems to have a legitimate gripe in the Bible, it's this man. What's the landowner, the vineyard owner say? You agreed to the daily wage. I'm not being unjust to you. I'm paying you what you agreed to. Are you perhaps jealous because I am generous? Now, the implication is clear. The owner of the vineyard is God. We are the workers. Some work all day, laboring. Some work all their lives in service of God. Some, maybe at the very end of their lives, come to conversion. They come to grace. Some, maybe halfway through their lives. Some are great saints. Some are pretty bad sinners. Some are, like most of us, in between. All of us working, hired by God for his task. But all, at the end, are paid the same. And we complain, like the people in the parable. It's unfair. It's unjust. Shouldn't those who labored all their lives long be paid more? receive more benefits, more grace than those who came at the last minute? The story told, you know, about a gangster in New York many years ago, back in the 40s, who'd spent his whole life as a gangster, as a hitman, a nefarious sinner. Well, he's shot. As he lays dying on a street in New York, he calls for a priest. The priest comes hears this dying man's last confession, gives him absolution, and the man dies. The priest was interviewed by the newspapers, and he said, well, 
this man died in the grace of God. Well, then the newspaper was flooded with complaints, flooded with letters. How could this be? This man who was a nefarious sinner all his life, terrible sinner, a murderer of the worst type. And he's in God's grace just the same as someone who has been a good and decent and virtuous person all his life, attending Mass and praying and doing the works of mercy, etc., etc. You mean they're both in the state of grace? It's unfair. It's not right. What do we make of all this? Let me say one quick thing as I close here. Reminding us of Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are not your ways. Friends, what do we see of God's world, of God's creation? We see one tiny corner of it. Our vision is starkly limited, both in breadth and in depth. What strikes us as unjust, as unfair, must be placed in the infinite context of what God sees and what God knows. What does God know? Everything about everything. Does God see into every heart, every mind? Does he understand all actions, all circumstances? Yes. Is it possible that in Jesus' parable, that vineyard owner knew everything about the circumstances of the various people that he hired? Maybe he was giving those who waited all day long something they deserved to compensate for those long hours of waiting. Maybe he knew of their own financial struggles. Maybe he knew whatever. Our God knows everything about everything. So how God distributes his graces, that's God's business. It's not our business to ask why in a defiant way. But rather, it seems to me, it's our business to ask why with a sense of awe and wonder, putting ourselves in the context of God's infinite justice. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.